0: Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buchholz, and this is Episode 68, Plot Gardening, an interview with Chris Fox, coming to you on Thursday, May 24th, 2018. Chris is a great author, and I have to say, I only know him as a nonfiction author, but he's one of those great, wonderful sharing people who have figured out how to make an excellent living doing independent publishing or self-publishing, and then he takes everything that he learns and he writes it all down and puts it out there in nonfiction books to help you and I. So Chris is going to be here talking about his newest book, Plot Gardening, which sounds, you know, just awesome from the title of it, especially because it's spring where I am right now and I'm recording this interview. But he also is the author of several other really great novel, um, sorry, nonfiction works on how to improve your uh, novel writing and um, marketing and that sort of thing, you know, how to make a living as a writer. Uh, those books include Right to Market which you might have heard talked about on several podcasts. Um, there are uh, a lot of people who love to talk about what they love about it and what they hate about it, which has actually made made the book pretty popular and the topic pretty popular. 5,000 words per hour, which sounds ridiculous, which is why people are like, wait, 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 what's that about? Um, so that is a great book. It talks some about dictation and just how to um, get your brain to work faster, that sort of thing. Relaunch Your Novel, so many more. There are so many... Uh, Um, great nonfiction works by him. And if you haven't read any of them, then start with one that seems most um, interesting to you at the moment for the place that you're at in the moment. And I really suggest that you look into them. Um, They're in Kindle and I think paperback for all of them. Chris will tell us more, but in the meantime, let's get right into the interview. You're gonna love this interview. Chris is a great fun guy and he's got tons of information to share. Today's guest is Chris Fox. Chris is the author of Right to Market, 5,000 words per hour, and his latest favorite series, The Magitech Chronicles. Chris has been a full-time indie author since 2016 and spends his free time hiking and making stuff up. Welcome, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me, Kitty. Oh, thanks so much for being on. I've sort of known you online for a year or more, and I'm super excited to have you on the show because I pretty much, I own all but one of your books so far, and it's only because I was moving at the time that you put out your not last book, but second to last book. So I'm a huge fan. I'm excited that you're here.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm, uh, kind of an open book, so I'd love to talk about any of the books that you're interested in.
0: Sweet. Well, we may just have to have you on many more times then, because I think that Plot Gardening is book seven in your Write Faster, Write Smarter series. Is that right?
1: Oh my God. I can't believe I'm up to seven books. Yeah, yeah it is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The magic number. Well, listen, why don't we give listeners just a little bit of background about um, why you started writing nonfiction books and how you came up with this series, kind of the, the way that it grew, because you're actually a novelist at heart, right?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's where most of the money comes from as novels. Um, I've got seven nonfiction books, but I have something like 21 fiction books. So it's definitely um, skewed a lot more towards fiction.
0: Nice, excellent. So how did you get started with, um, I mean, you mentioned it a little bit in some of your intros, but some people may not have read any of your books yet. So they haven't read the intro on who you are and how you got started. How did that first book come about?
1: Um, So when I got into this whole author game, one of the things that I most loved is that we are a very giving community and we were all kind of pooling our knowledge. Like, how do we do this? How do we find cover designers? You know, how do we we find um, the various pieces and editors and things that we need to get books out there that people are gonna wanna read? Um, And I realized that my background in data science and in computer science kind of put me in a unique position to teach people sort of how my productivity was working. At that time, um, I was taking the bus every morning into San Francisco, and I worked as the sole software engineer at a startup. And and so, you know, I had to be really scrappy, and I had to get creative. And I applied that methodology to writing. So every morning on the bus, as I bounced my way into town, I would write my 5,000 words, and I'd track it very closely you know, when was I writing faster? Um, what were the circumstances? I was always studying this data and I started sharing it with authors. And what a lot of people started telling me is the concept of a writing sprint um, was was really interesting to them and was helping them write faster. Maybe I should write a book. Uh, and so I, I said, okay, sure, why not? Uh, so I put together an, an app, which has uh, since been pulled from the app store due to lack of, lack of updates. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But right around that same time, I also made myself um, that that book. I I wrote the book and I put it out there and I I started telling people, okay, this is how I'm doing it. And I was really, really surprised how many people embraced the 5,000 words per hour methodology, how many people are now doing writing sprints and and how wide it spread. I'm now hearing it, you know, from many, many other sources. Uh, And it's really cool to kind of see it become, you know, almost colloquial wisdom at this point. Uh, which I, I find really gratifying.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of people who have no idea that um, the the person who started their sprint group and the person who started the sprint group that that person is was somebody who, you know, three reader generations back read your book and was like, you know, this is a great idea. We should start it. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And even me, I mean, the idea didn't, I think, originate with me. I called it a sprint, but um, the the Pomodoro method has been around for some time and I've seen a lot of people use that. And I think yeah. software, you know, stole that from somewhere. So I'm just really applying other principles that, that you know, uh, came before me.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have to say, I love that method. It certainly has worked for me in my brain as well. <laughs> So so you wrote the first book and then did you think, well, I'm just going to share this information I have in my head so that it's out there and I can stop answering emails, but I don't expect to do more or did you sort of have in the back of your brain? Because if you worked at a startup, you have a little bit of an entrepreneurial personality anyway, right?
1: Yeah, I was just trying to see, you know, can you make money selling nonfiction? So when I put out 5,000 words per hour, I already had two novels out and there was a third one on the way and I was making pretty good money. And I didn't really know what to expect and, and what I learned is that nonfiction is a completely different animal. Um, when you put out a novel we're all about you know how big is your launch and how many copies do you sell right away and you know is it breaking the top 100 on Amazon and, you know that stuff's so important and, and so vital to your career but with nonfiction, you tend to sell some copies every single day it's a lot more word of mouth and it's a lot more long term I guess Uh, 5,000 words per hour has never been in Kindle Unlimited, and it still sells 10 to 15 copies every day, and it has pretty much every day since I released it. That's never slowed down. That's never changed. There are small spikes upward and downward, but nonfiction is much more consistent, and and I find that fascinating. Uh, But really, I I didn't do it necessarily to make money. It's it's a part of my income, but it's actually a comparatively small part. It's less than 20% of my earnings is nonfiction. Uh, But you know what? I'll take it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So has it turned into something that um, it, for some people, nonfiction is just a way to stop answering 100 emails a day? Uh, is it something that you found that you're like, you know what, I like this, people are asking me for help, I'm apparently helping people, I'm just going to keep going?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I found that I enjoyed the teaching part of it. So somebody would read the book and a light bulb would come on and they'd say, you know, this helped me and, and now I'm publishing my first book, thank you. And that was really gratifying. Um, and I started getting a bunch of questions about other topics, so I decided as I learn new stuff in the publishing industry, I'm just going to write a book and share it, and that's what I've been doing ever since, and that's uh, that's what's gotten us up to seven books, uh, and I've got eight, nine, and ten on the way.
0: <laughs> you already have the ideas for them.
1: I do. Mm-hmm.
0: Nice. Excellent. Well, um, when you were talking about the work that you do on buses, I also was on a bus today reading your book, Plot Gardening. <laughs> So, um, I thought it was interesting. Uh, actually when I first got, cause I'm on your email list. So when I first got the email that a new book was coming out and I remember thinking to myself, plot, oh, I don't know that he's put out a craft book yet. And then in the intro, you're like, yeah, I don't know why I haven't put out a craft book yet, but this is the first one, right?
1: Mm-hmm, very first one. It's funny because if you look back in 5,000 words per hour, it says in the end of that book that the next book I'd be putting out would be about outlining. And then it just never happened because people kept yeah. asking about other topics. So <laughs> plot gardening is is my, you know, finally wading into the craft arena. Yeah, so I, I found that plot gardening was much, much more difficult to write than uh, all of the marketing books. Because with marketing books, I can give people experiments that they can try that they can sort of tailor to their own genre. And it's very easy to tell them, you know, try A and then try B and then try C. Um, But with something creative like plot gardening, when you're actually trying to develop a story, there's so much artistry involved that capturing that in a way that people could replicate, I found to be really challenging. So it was a lot harder to do plot gardening than any of the other books.
0: Yeah. Well, and also the way that you were describing it um, in in the beginning of the book about how you were doing the research for yourself in order to become a better storyteller yourself, it sounded to me like it must have been probably hundreds, a couple hundred hours of research. If you read all the best books and were watching all the videos and rewatching and rereading things that you already read, I was thinking to myself, my gosh, you really did a deep dive into storytelling, you know, the the craft of storytelling.
1: Yeah, I took probably six months where, you know, I, I cut off most communication with the outside world and I took kind of a page from the book Deep Work and, you know, was trying to focus on this and sort of really drill down and learn what does story mean. And so I took a course from John Truby and, you know, I, I read all these books on it and I really immersed myself in story and I watched all my favorite movies and I reread some of my favorite books. And I, I think that really helped me to distill down what I think the essence of story is in a way that people can, can sort of latch on to.
0: Yeah. And then you, uh, if I remember right, you ended up um, using the tools and stuff that you talk about in the book Plot Gardening for a couple of your novels. And I assume that you probably did that before you wrote the nonfiction book, that you were trying it out.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, before and after. So I'm going to be trying more experiments and I'll, I'll probably update the book with the, the data I get from those. But um, I didn't really understand that I was in fact doing what I've now come to call plot gardening while I was doing it. But it's been sort of a, a growing part of the last several books and all of the books in the Magitech Chronicles involve it in some way. And it's part of why I think they're, they're doing so well and why the, the fans are so dedicated um, as opposed to some of the other series that I have. Because there's that, that rich world building that maybe was absent in, let's say, my, my Void Race series.
0: Right, right. Okay. Now um, you have, the way that you do your books, I just love the end of the chapters of, I don't know, all the books, most of the books um, have exercises. And then you compile all the exercises at the end of the book. I know that's the case for plot gardening as well, right?
1: Right. They all include the exercises. And the reason for this is, um, you know, I, I looked at a lot of other nonfiction books and I, I don't feel like they solve my problem. So I would read a book And there'd be some interesting information that would get me thinking differently. But then I would go back to my day-to-day regimen with no like takeaway that I could use. And I realized that the way to do that is to give people a homework assignment at every sub step along the way. So if I'm solving a specific problem, like teaching you to write to market or teaching you to write faster, I'm going to give you 10 or 15 steps, but you're going to have to do the work at the end of every chapter. And if you do that work, you, you come out of it knowing a lot more than you do. Um, But what I found interestingly is that people who don't do the work say that the books are too short, they're too light, and they don't have enough information.
0: Well, that kind of explains (laughs) what they were doing, doesn't it? uh huh. (laughs) Yeah. And I have to say, I've found some notebooks of of. You know, I, I'm I'm a notebook collector like like so many other people, you know, an office supply geek and um, at the other day, it literally was the other day, I was packing to move to Sweden and trying to decide, you know, what did I need over the next few months and what was just going to have to wait and I'm like, oh wait, here's my notebook that has some of my notes from some of the exercises from one of your books. I'm like, yeah, I need to take that with me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even remember which one since I own all but one of the books, so... <laughs> All right, so um, this, the beginning of this interview, I think is going to be um, helpful and ish- interesting for people who are writing or are interested in writing a nonfiction book, because we talked a lot about how you approached the writing of this book and the series. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the actual topic of this book uh, for the novelists out there and the short story writers and whoever else is, is writing fiction. Um, I know that there is far too much for you to be able um, to distill into an interview and I wouldn't want anybody to think that you and I are going to cover everything that's in the book and they don't need it because what they really need is to do the exercises in the book. Even um, what I was reading on the bus today, I was like, "Oh man, why don't I have my iPad so that I can like try a couple of these things?" And I'm speaking from someone who was like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to interview them. but you know, I have eight titles out. I've been teaching writing for a long time. I don't really need another book on plot, but I'm like, oh, I really like the way that you you think about things just a little bit differently. You know, it's it's taking my like you're saying it's taking my brain into place. It's a little bit different, and it just kind of cracks open a little bit more." Um, Creative, creative thought. So let's kind of go into what what is it that you are trying to accomplish? You know, from the perspective of a novelist,
1: I, I want people to be able to approach their novel like it is. You know, an art based project where you're, you're sort of taking the time to do all of your world building, and it isn't all about this outline that you need to create. We're very polarized, I think, as writers. A lot of people consider themselves to be pantsers. They write by the seat of their pants. And then the rest of us are are plotters or outliners. Um, And I feel like both approaches have some some merit to them. If you're just freeform writing, you're going to come up with some really neat stuff. And excuse me, if you are outlining meticulously, you're going to have to cut a lot less stuff when you actually write your book. But I feel like the best stories maybe involve parts of each. And so plot gardening is my attempt to show people here's how you do it creatively, here's how you start, you know, sort of fertilizing your little garden and getting all your ideas growing, and then only after that's been happening for a while do you actually start working on an outline. So it's, it's sort of my attempt to hybridize the process and use that creativity that, that is so vital to success, but also give you a system you can follow so you have a story that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Okay, so you said that um, the Magitech Chronicles, um, the, was it book one that you were not realizing exactly, but that you had started realizing later that you had been using these techniques. Can you tell us a little bit more about the writing of it so that listeners can um, listen to your example and then be able to apply it to what they're working on themselves?
1: Sure. Um, So when I started out with Tech Mage, I I actually made a mistake in this book. And it was one of the the core mistakes that helped me to write plot gardening. And that's when I made my protagonist, I gave them amnesia, which you know it's a trope that's been used before. It's not necessarily a bad trope, Um, But what it does is it weakens the character's motivation. If the character doesn't know who they are, they don't necessarily know what they want. And so as I was gardening this story, I believe, uh, I take a very Joseph Campbell approach, that character and story, the plot, are welded firmly together. And how that character develops through the story is going to inform whether or not your story is great and whether or not readers love it. Um, If you completely divorce plot and character development, I, I think that readers sense that something's lacking. You know, Real people are changed by the experiences that they face in real life. And I wasn't adequately showing that in the first book. And so what I realized is, well, wait a minute, I need to give him a more clear-cut motivation. And let's see what happens when I do. So people love this setting, they love the world building. I've got dragons fighting starships and and there's definitely a very rabid audience (laughs) interested in that. Um but when I got into the second book in the series, all of a sudden my character had goals and you know motivations and he had actual feelings that made it onto the page and and you know showed (laughs) how he felt about his situation and, and the fact that he had been enslaved and what was going on and you know some of that was lacking in the first book it was mostly michael bay style action um especially the first <laughs> of the first book so it was it was kind of by making that mistake that i learned this big light bulb moment, but, but, oh if i if i weave the characters all of the characters into the plot in the right way um, then readers are going to love that stuff And so I took a big step back and I looked at, well, how do I do that reliably every time I sit down to write a book? How do I make it so that my character is growing and changing through the course of this book um, and that people are interested in their struggles? And, And that is kind of what plot gardening is trying to answer. So there is some stuff in there about character development, character flaws, what makes a good character and how to write them, as well as how do you develop a story that's going to have that person grow and change through the course of the story in a way readers will love.
0: Right, right. Now, um, I, I didn't get all the way through the book yet. Um, do you talk about, because you're a series writer, so do you talk about how to do it in the context of writing a series as well, or is it kind of, um, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I, um, I just gave a talk at the, the Selmore Book Show uh, Summit in Chicago, and, and the title of that talk was Get Rich or Die Writing. Um, and it was about the con- <laughs> it was about the concept of a flagship series, and I say flagship because I'm a you know military science fiction writer, and, and flagships are are big deal to us. Um, but the, the, I've heard signature series, I've heard other terms from other um, other industries, romance especially, where the idea is that you need to write a series that's going to really captivate readers in the long term. So we're talking Harry Potter, we're talking you know Game of Thrones if it had an ending. We're <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, we're talking about these series that that sort of draw you in and it's very worthy of our attention. Um, and it can be difficult to pull off, but it's doable if you're sustaining what John Truby would call narrative drive. Uh, the example that I used in the talk uh, that I gave in Chicago was let's say you've got um, a thriller that you're writing and your main character is a, a James Bond clone In fact, I'm going to call him James Bond since we all know who James Bond is Let's say that you're writing James Bond and James Bond uh, Gets to stop the bad guy at the end of the first book. That's an okay thriller Maybe he's disarming a nuclear bomb and and people like that But in and of itself, it's not enough to sustain interest. It's not going to keep readers turning pages and going to the next book And what you need are complications so let's say in the first book, you've got uh, James Bond solving this crime, but his partner is almost as good as he is, uh, but is always playing second fiddle and is not quite as good. Now we get to this at the beginning of the second book, maybe this, this sidekick betrays James Bond, frames him, and now James Bond is on the run. But I, I still think like even that's not enough, you can ramp it up further. So what if um, in addition to this circumstance, the villain from the first book is still alive, And the only way for James Bond to clear his name is to find this villain and work with them to clear their name. So now you've got this tension of of the former villain working with James Bond and clearly they're not going to get along. They don't like each other. You know, why would they even work together? You have that whole thing to play with. And then of course, you've got this other character who started out as an ally, but it's now an enemy. So kind of your goal is to keep shifting those alliances. You know, allies are becoming enemies. Enemies are becoming allies. You're introducing new characters. And along the way, every single character is changing and growing. They're becoming different people. They're learning from their mistakes, even if they're small lessons each book, but they're kind of moving in in a direction where they're becoming a different person. I think um, one of the best examples of this is The Dresden Files by Jim Butcher. I don't know if you've read that.
0: Oh my gosh! In my (laughs) mind, I'm thinking of The Dresden Files while you're talking because it's my all-time favorite, favorite, favorite series. He's my favorite writer. And um, yeah, I'm a total geek girl about them sorry calm down let you talk yes talk
1: about, <laughs> so, about harry in the first book so in the first book for those who haven't read the series go check it out um harry dresden is a wizard pi so he lives in chicago and he's trying to solve supernatural crimes and at the first it's it's very much like a kind of an x-files monster of the week feel where for the first few books he's not growing and changing and we're not seeing a different harry and it's just sort of him solving crimes And this is why so many people have to be convinced to read the series. My friends were after me for years to get me to check this out because I tried the first book and I'm like, just isn't hooking me. But in the fourth book in the series, Harry starts to grow and change. And now there are 16 books. And those of us like Kitty and I that have read all the way through the series, we love Harry. We love seeing his life. We need to know how his story ends. We love yeah. the person he's becoming. We've seen him learn and grow and change and sacrifice. And we're hooked. I'll, I'll pay any price for a Dresden File book when it comes out. If they want $30 for the ebook on release day, I'd probably grumble, but I'd pay it. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: I would have to agree with you. And I'm one, I'm one of those people who is like, why would I pay $9.99 for an ebook when I can pay twelve ninety nine for the, for the hardcover? That's just stupid. But for Harry Dresden, yes, I have paid full price for all of them. <laughs> okay. So, um, Oh, this is so interesting. I love talking about all this stuff. I could talk about writing stuff with writers all day, I think. <laughs> so, um, you have a lot of, um, information that you're, um, kind of, some of it you're outlining, some of it is organically growing as you're writing your books and stuff. And in plot gardening, you have these exercises or questions or, um, you know, assignments, um, at the end of each chapter. And so our, are you expecting um, readers of the book to be able to, if they put in the work <laughs> and, and put in you know, the time and the creativity to, to think things through and, and you know, take it, you know, not the first thing that they think of probably, but the, maybe the fourth or the 10th or the 23rd thing that they think of, you know, really pushing it like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you feel like um, the questions and the exercises and stuff in this book would help someone who is struggling to come up with that really good first book in a series or to improve a series?
1: I mean, maybe it sounds a little arrogant, but yes.
0: (laughs) Well, (laughs) I I kind of expect you to, that that you say yes, because you're explaining how you came up with all of these ideas and your James Bond example and it's and that sort of thing. And so it, it sounds like this is the kind of book, I guess I am sort of, it's a leading question, I would be a terrible attorney. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like listeners would, um, Probably find that this book is a great starter book, even though it's book seven in your nonfiction series. If they are new or if they're determined, I need to find that series that defines me as a writer and that sets me apart as a writer. And like, I I have, I'm one of those people who I just have a really high bar that I set for myself and I still haven't actually reached my own bar yet. <laughs> um, so I'm always thinking of how can I make this, like it's good, I'm getting good reviews, but but I want to write great books. Like how can I push myself to write great books? And it sounds like... Um, this idea of asking yourself questions and going through exercises Um, tell us a little bit because i just love the way that you start out the the beginning of the book Um, tell us a little bit about how you explain how this the beginning stage of thinking through all the creative bits is like a garden and planting a garden to some degree
1: sure so the the analogy that i use um is imagine you've got a planter box in your backyard and you're going to do your novel in this planter box um, I start out with something called the layer system, which is designed to add um, a metaphorical layer of soil to the bottom of this. And really what you're doing is just defining the big picture pieces, who kind of is my protagonist, who is my antagonist, what is this setting like? and. Am I writing in, in you know, military science fiction or am I writing a romance that's set in you know, South Africa? You're, you're just picking some of those things and because the simple act of doing that is gonna get your subconscious working. You're gonna start thinking about things. You're going to maybe be watching a documentary or a show on Netflix and all of a sudden the light bulb's gonna come on in your head. You're like, oh, I can add a character like this. And so you can rush over to your Scrivener document, your garden, and you're gonna add in another handful of soil. So I liken characters to seeds. And your world building is the soil. So you're building this rich world, and then you're putting the seeds, the characters in it, and you're starting to think about how would each of these characters act, behave, and, and what is their motivation? And so they start to grow like plants would, but your your outline is the pole that you stick in the guide pole. You stick in the soil that this sort of determines what direction those characters grow. So you can't completely control them. They're gonna go in, in their own direction sometimes, but you can provide them a guide and, and um, In some ways, you want to slow their their development and their growth and force them to go a certain way. And then others, you know, maybe you want to give them free rein and let that plant do what it's going to do. And and the book (laughs) is designed, uh, I guess, kind of to show both routes.
0: Excellent. So even if somebody was like, no, I I really am a plotter or no, I'm really a pantser, um, I think personally, reading um, as much of your book as I have so far, that honestly, if somebody really wants to just have a method to, really push themselves this this book your book plot gardening really can work for really any kind of novelist
1: the uh, the number one takeaway for both groups so far if you are a plotter and you're reading the book they're like oh i've read all this hero's journey stuff i know about story structure and so they usually roll their eyes but what they come away with is the world building and the the idea that they can do some discovery writing early on in the process before they've really even plotted out their entire book just to learn who these people are and then on the flip side, um, the other group who, who wants that unfettered creativity is realizing that they can still have that, but an understanding of story structure is allowing them to tell a good story. So maybe they're not consciously saying, okay, this is the first gateway, or you know, this is my meet the goddess, but in the back of their mind, they're like, I know that a story should sort of flow this direction. And so as they're writing, they're kind of unconsciously doing that.
0: Yeah. Now, another thing that um, you might be the first person that I've noticed to actually put this in print in this century for sure. Um, Your book, Plot Gardening, was the first time that I have read since I read like um, some autobiographical work from you know like the who am I trying to think of like Charles Dickens and Mark Twain and like you know the the old favorites um, about how you can be working on different. plots. (laughs) plots. <laughs> I mean that in the gardening sense, in your plot garden. So you were talking about how you will be putting down ideas for whichever book is on your mind at the moment while you're driving or brushing your teeth or whatever, and you have an idea for this book that you know you're going to write, might not be the one that you're working on right this second. And then you're just going ahead and putting all these seeds in the in the different book gardens. Is that Did I understand that correctly?
1: Absolutely. Um, I've got a video series called Plot gardening, how to plot a novel from scratch. Uh, And and that's what it does. It walks through this process. And and I mentioned in those videos and in the book as well that um, this this book I'm working on is called The Dark Lord Burt. And I haven't actually sat down to write any of it yet. Um, But what I'm doing is plotting it. And so I have this Scrivener document. And every once in a while, I'll, I'll see something that'll trigger a thought in my mind, and I'll add it to it. Consciously, as I'm working at the gym, or you know, walking to a different location, uh, is you know, sort of processing that and allowing it to grow. And I'm doing that with multiple books at once. So as of uh, today, I've got four books that I'm working on. Um, two of them very seriously, and two of them are just sort of in, in the background.
0: Now, I know for some people that will freak them out. Don't worry, you don't have to do that. You can work on one book at a time. Um, but I have to say that. Um, I am one of those people who not only do I actually have three unfinished series that I'm working on, you know, I've got one book in this one and two books in that one, and it's, it's kind of ridiculous. And then, of course, I ask my readers, so well, which, which one series do you want me to focus on? And it was almost a one-third, one-third, one-third split. <laughs> like, oh, thanks for being helpful. <laughs> um, so I have a tendency to be thinking about a lot of different stories at the same time anyway. So, and I... I would listen to what other people would say. And this is the point that I kind of wanted to make myself is that I want listeners to really think about um, you're giving a lot of great examples and maybe 97% will work for this listener. Maybe 42% will work for this listener. So if you're a person who... writes one book at a time, you don't even think about any other books, totally fine. But this is the first time that I felt like somebody was giving me a way to deal with the way my brain already works, which is that sometimes I'm thinking about that book that I started in grad school that I'm determined to finish and I just can't figure out. And then I'll be like, oh my gosh, that's what happens. So-and-so dies and then blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so brilliant. But that would be like a book three event. So I have to figure out what happens in books one and two. I'm not in a place where i'm going to write that series right now but i feel like um it's hard for me to be uh calm about not losing all these great ideas and it sounds like this is a way to make you feel like i've got it all of my ideas i have a way to put them someplace
1: yeah i I, for the longest time i believe that you should only work on one project at once because you know that's what we're all taught right and so what i found is if i'm not opening separate projects and putting a little bit you know here and a little bit there all of the thoughts that I have that would normally be for these other books get worked into whatever I'm working on. So I'll have a great idea and it should really belong in another series or another book, but it's a great idea, right? So I'm going to try and shoehorn it in to whatever it is that I'm writing. And and so I found that my thoughts became more cohesive if I allowed myself to at least plan other projects. Like I'm only doing the actual writing on one book at a time, but you know, if you want to think about four or five other projects, why not?
0: Right. Right. Well, and definitely, I think that, um, the way that everybody thinks is so, like we can generalize it a lot through neuroscience, which is totally the coolest science ever in my mind. Uh, <laughs> but um, but it's still very individual. So um, as much as I want to encourage people not to get afraid that we're pushing them too hard, I also want other people to feel like, oh my gosh, I have the freedom now to get all the thoughts out of my head. And because sometimes that is how you're depending on who you are, for me, sometimes that's how I'm choosing which next book I'm going to write. I'm like, oh my gosh, I really do know what this book's about. So this is going to be the next one I write.
1: Yeah, it's about interest level, in, in my opinion. If I've got four projects and one of them is super exciting and I know what the plot is, that's the one I should be working on.
0: Yeah, yeah. Even though I totally understand from a marketing perspective, and I'd love to have you come back on and talk about marketing, that um, from a marketing perspective, there are a lot of really good (laughs) reasons to stick to one series until you're at least, you know, a a fair way into it before you switch
1: around. There's a a reason why uh, Michael Anderle is a seven-figure author and I am a six-figure author. Michael has written 21 books and 22 books in the same series, and I've jumped around across four series.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Now, just one more uh, pitch for why I think Plot Gardening, honestly, it's going to be a great book for, and you know what, just so that you know, I don't go around pitching people's books all the time, <laughs> So, um, but I've had some some guests on that I've already read their books, and I already know they're great. So, Lisa Cron's books, I think everybody should buy them all. I mean, there's are Wired for story, check it out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's the one I'm writing, working on again right now, uh, uh, reading, that's what I'm trying to say. Um, Okay. So I have to say that even though, again, I didn't really think that I needed a book on plot on plotting, I think Plot Gardening is going to be a great book for, for just about anybody. If you're new, I really think this is going to be a huge help in getting um, a step further ahead than other new people. And I think that if you've been around for a while and maybe you feel like me, like I have good books, but I want to write great books. There are a lot of really great um, both techniques and questions in the end of chapter exercises, which by the way, I would just want to say again, how much I love that you put all the exercises at the end of the book, because I am a read it all the way through kind of person, and then do the exercises at the end. Um, But the exercises, I really think that it's it's a little bit how much you put into it is how much you're going to get out of it. But I think it's a great kind of um, roadmap or, you know, whatever the analogy is that a person would want to use to how you can really push yourself and bring more out of what is inside. Like you are creative enough to write great books. And one of the things that you say in some of your um, marketing books is, and in fact, I think you said it at the beginning of plot gardening, it is much easier to market a great story than a good story.
1: Agreed. People are going to promote your work for you if they love it. So if somebody reads the first Harry Potter book, the odds are good with Harry Potter. If your experience was anything like me, somebody recommended that book to you, probably several somebody's, yep. and that's why you picked it up. And, exactly. and that's ultimately what you're looking for is making those advocates. People who are like, wow, this, you know, Chris Fox books was so good that I need to tell my family about it so they can share in the experience. And then that comes from craft.
0: Yeah. I love it. I'm so glad that you decided to write a craft book. I'm looking forward to the books eight, nine, and 10 that you've got in your Write Faster, Write Smarter series.
1: I'm being very secretive about the topics, but one of them is going to be marketing-based. One of them is kind of business-based. The authors, I think, need a resource to teach them how to run a business. Yeah. Uh, and then the last one, of course, uh, is, is uh, character-based, so there'll be more plot stuff on the way.
0: <laughs> awesome. That'll be great. Listen, I know where I can find all of your books because all of yours are on my Kindle. But where can other people find you and all of your books?
1: Uh, best place to find me is my website, chrisfoxwrites.com. You'll find resources like you know free spreadsheets to, tr- to track your writing, um, articles. I run a YouTube video channel that uh, has videos on everything from, you know, plotting to characters to marketing. So basically my goal is to put together a repository of free info for writers. And all of that is at chrisfoxwrites.com.
0: Awesome. (laughs) Very good. And the YouTube channel, I think is youtube.com forward slash chrisfoxwrites. That's correct. Yeah, can you tell I've been there too? <laughs> I'm a fan.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just passed 20,000 subscribers, which kind of blows me away, uh, and we're about to hit a million yeah. views.
0: Oh my gosh! That's congratulations. Thank you. That's amazing. Now, you, now you realize you can't shave now, because no, no, I will problem.
1: always have to have the beard. That's become part yeah. of the look. Um, but more importantly, my wife likes it so. <laughs> oh.
0: There you go. Yeah. When Mark Dawson was talking about his beard, I was like, this looks so weird to me to see him with a beard. And he was like, yep, my wife likes it. So it's staying." I'm like, well, there you go.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're used to seeing him baby faced.
0: Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) exactly. Listen, thank you so much. This has been great. And I hope that we can make time to bring you back on and talk more about marketing, because that's one of the things that you're known for marketing and or writing fast. Those are some big topics for you.
1: Yeah, my battle cry, uh, spoilers for next year, is going to be sustainable marketing because a lot of the marketing I see happening right now is not sustainable. So that'll be the next big Chris Fox moment where I come out and want to talk about it.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Well, I'm excited. I thank you so much for coming and thank you for helping all the the listeners. I'm sure that they all appreciate it as much as I do.
1: Thanks for having me. And and if I were to to leave you one thing, it's pay it forward, help other authors.
0: Love it. Thanks, Chris.
1: Hey, thanks, Kitty.